So this morning I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. All right. Bruce, I already forgot his name. Is Bruce here? Jerome. Jerome. Where are you, Jerome? Hey. So Jerome has been selling nitro ice cream over in O'Reilly's parking lot uh, all weekend. And what he's going to do, he's a believer in the Lord, and he is going to give whoever from our church wants ice cream after the service, they can go get ice cream. He said, it's good ice cream. He said you don't have to pay for it, but if you want to give, you can give the money. He, he did say this, and it can go to the church. I want to say this. No, don't do that. Follow Jerome's example. Do something generous this week. Pay for somebody's gas or their groceries or do, do something somewhere this week. Do some, follow his example and be kind. One other thing before I get started in the message and that is um, freedom, this, this thing that you go through. I, if you have questions about it, you come talk to somebody back there wearing a tag. They can, if they don't know, they can get you to somebody. But if you have been thinking about it and you're on the fence, I just kind of want to push you onto the side of taking it because I think it's a really good thing. If this hasn't even been on your radar screen because, like a lot of us, oh, this is just bothering me. There we go. Um, uh, you know, the, you glaze over during announcements. I mean, you really glaze over when I start talking. That's all fine. But if you, so if you haven't been paying attention, consider it. Consider taking it. Okay. Those two things in mind, we are going through a series on the Beatitudes. They're these sayings of Jesus, blessed are, that were just read. Blessed are these kind of people, for they will this. And I have read a lot of different angles on the Beatitudes over the years. And so coming in, we're on like the seventh week uh, coming into this, every single week, I kind of knew what I was going to say, what I would say if I was teaching on the Beatitudes. I had some ideas of what I would say, but the last six weeks, we've had six different speakers, and they have them in me. And every single week, I'm like, that's not what I would say. That's not what I would teach. And I love it. I mean, these little sayings are so packed with with. God's word and God's ways, and it's just a little saying, and yet when you look at the rest of the Bible and what it says, you can take it in so many directions. It shows so many of the ways that God works, and so I have loved hearing six different voices, six different angles, looking at it in a way that I wouldn't necessarily look at it. It has been energizing for me. The bad news is, the rest of the way, you're stuck with me. But we're almost done, so that's good. But we're, I'm going to do, uh, we've just got a couple left. Uh, and this week's is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I want to look, look at a few phrases of this. 
it, separate, to set it up and then get to, get to my main point and really drive it home through a lot of Bible passages. Here's, here it is, the children of God. What does it mean that they'll be called children of God? Well, often children, biologically speaking, resemble their parents in their features and how, how they look. Even, I will say, you know, they say sometimes when you've been married to someone for a long time, you start to look like each other, and that is totally true. But I have noticed that people who adopt children, the adopted children start to look like the family members, even when they're a different race. You just watch that. Check that out. But anyway, like this is, this is true. So I have thought heading in when, before I had a baby of my own and even when I first had a baby of my own, not that I had the baby. I did some work. Camille did a little more work in having the baby. But anyway, so I have always thought babies are pretty much, you can categorize them. I think I got this from my dad. They have hair or they don't. Uh, black, brown, white. That's it. They, otherwise, they look pretty much the same to me. The babies just look the same. I don't think, you know, my wife, when her baby, she's looking at the toes and the fingers and the eyebrows and the, the features and she's talking to me about other babies. And I'm just like, it's a baby. I mean, talk to me in a year. Then they start to look like a person. But right now, they just look like a baby. I am walking through Toys R Us. Elliot, my first child, two weeks old. I'm walking through and this lady just like stops me. She says, well, we know who his daddy is. I'm like, really? Like, that looks, that's what I look like? I look like that thing? I mean, it's just a baby. My grandma Schmidt was the same way. She's like, it's a little Andy. I'm like, only my grandma can call me Andy, by the way, none of you. But, but I'm just like, really? It just, but there is something of the, and it's not just how we look. Uh, sometimes it's how we act, what's really strange. I've heard people talk about this, that you start doing the same things your parents did as you get older. It makes sense to me that you would do things like your family, like with the people around you. That makes total sense to me, because I'm around them a lot, so I maybe talk the same way, same mannerisms, that kind of thing. But it's strange to me that I'm not around my parents. My parents live in Minnesota. I'm not around them very much, and I will be doing something and be like, that was my mom. That was my dad, like, I'm turning into my parents, which is very good, because they're probably watching right now. But anyway, uh, it's awesome. But it's just strange. We resemble our families. And so Jesus says, blessed are you when you're a peacemaker, because that's what God's like. God is a peacemaker. So you resemble him when you're a peacemaker. Now, by the way, Peace is not just like the absence of war or the absence of hostility in terms of how the Bible uses it. It is that. that in, that's what's included. It's not just an inner feeling of calm we have that's included. But the word peace, the way they were using it in the Bible, and at Bible times was a big word. In Hebrew, it was shalom. It was a sense of well-being. It was things are as they're supposed to be. It was harmony. It is, this is how it's supposed to be. And so blessed are you and I when we are people who make a sense of well-being between people, in people, around people, then we are blessed. Here's what I want to take a little time in doing before we think about us as peacemakers. Here's what I want to take a little time to do, just to demonstrate briefly how much peace is important and part of who God is. It is just not like, oh, you know, a little feature of if you, if you follow God or, or whatever, you can get a little peace. You know, he, he does that every once in a while. This is who he is. 
So in the Old Testament, they're predicting, here's coming the Messiah, the Savior, and they, they say he is the Prince of Peace. And of his government and peace, there will be no end. So it's in his title, and it's also in his goals. Now, some of us have goals, and we get them. If God has a goal, he's going to see it through. And he has a goal that eventually heaven will come to earth. Everyone will be raised up. We will come together, and there will be peace. There will be well-being. That is part of his goal that is in his title. He's not just called the Prince of Peace. In Hebrews, he's called the King of Peace. In Thessalonians, he's called the Lord of Peace. That means he's the master of peace. That means he's in charge of peace. He, that is who he is. And so when there was, they were talking about Jesus and him coming, they were talking about peace. We talked about this a few weeks ago. There was a sermon we did on Peter when he's giving the message of here's who Jesus is. And he says, you know, he brought the, the, I'm here to bring you the good news of peace that comes through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, it talks about the gospel of peace. In Romans, it talks about the way of peace. And by the way, when I'm throwing out these Romans and all these things, these are just, for those of you who aren't as familiar, these are just like different parts of the Bible. The Bible's actually a collection of writings. And so this is where they come from, these different parts of the Bible. And all these different parts of the Bible just keep talking about peace. In Colossians, it talks about Jesus, through his death on the cross, made a way for peace. This is the message. And they talk about this God of peace. The God of peace, over and over in the New Testament, the God of peace. And there is a way we, through Jesus, can have peace. It talks about, in Romans, that includes peace with God. It can be right. It can be how it's supposed to be. It can be, instead of hostility, goodness with God. Unity with God through Jesus. And it says there's an abundance, in Second Peter says there's an abundance of peace that comes through knowing God. It talks about the peace of God. So in Philippians, it talks about we're praying to the God of peace. Peace is just part of who he is. And when we pray, we can get the peace of God. And then it says something like this. It says, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace to you from God. You know where it says that, those of you who know the different books of the Bible? It says that in Romans and in 1 Corinthians, and it says it in 2 Corinthians, and in Galatians, and in Ephesians, and in Philippians, and in Colossians, and in 1 Thessalonians, and in 2 Thessalonians, and in 1 Timothy, and in 2 Timothy, and in Titus, and in Philemon or Philemon, I don't remember, I'm a pastor, but I don't remember how you pronounce that one. It's very short, so we never really look at it, <laughs> kind of seriously. <laughs> I mean, I've read it, but all right. And then in First and Second Peter, it talks about an abundance of peace from God to you. Peace from God. Why did I just go through all that? This is part of the message. This is part of what's available to us. Peace of God, of his essence, peace from God to you. God is infinite. He is huge. He goes on forever, and in his essence, in his being, is this peace. So when the Bible describes the glorious riches, heavenly riches, spiritual riches, it certainly includes peace available. We have access to it through Jesus, which is something to say because we live in a world, 
And we ourselves carry often so little peace within us. So, given that, what about those of us who are in Jesus, who have access to this peace? What are we supposed to do? Well, as much as it is possible, this is what it says in Romans 12, as much as it is possible, we're to live at peace with everyone. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, make every effort, make every effort, work at this, to live at peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. That's what it says. And I tack that on because the idea isn't just, well, we'll never make anyone feel uncomfortable. That's what it means to be peace. We'll never disagree with anyone. We'll never, you know, we'll just go along with what everyone else is doing because as much as possible, we're supposed to live at peace. It says you're supposed to live at peace and be holy and live like God wants you to and do that because if you don't do that, no one will see the Lord. They'll just see what the world is like. They'll just see a lot of evil. We're supposed to be different, so we make every effort for peace, and we're holy. Timothy, seek peace and pursue it. Second Peter, pursue peace. We need to want peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. They resemble God, so we want not just any peace. In, in the Isaiah and Jeremiah, multiple times, there's this, this quote. They say, it's about false prophets. They say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So we don't just pretend peace, that there's peace. It's got to be the peace from God. That's what we're trying to align with and pass on. <clears throat> Jesus, oh, man. You know, I didn't do that all week. But when I got to speak, there's something that comes up here and I get all gravelly. Okay, anyway, um, where was I? This is the most attentive congregation I've ever been around in my life. Um, oh, yeah, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. All of this in the Bible about peace, and then he talks about, I didn't come to bring peace and a sword. Well, in the same, in the same page of the Bible, you hear Jesus saying, when you, what he means by that is you have to align with him, and if you don't, it's going to show up. You can't, it's good, there's good and evil. He says, but if you go to a house and there's people with you, uh, let your peace, the peace that you have from God because of your connection with God, let the peace rest in the house. If they don't want it, let your peace return to you. Okay? So there is this sense of, of we can bring peace. That doesn't mean everything's perfect. That doesn't mean it always, but we, we bring it the best we can. All right. The mind controlled by the Spirit, by the God Spirit, is life and peace. A person filled with the Spirit has the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, love, joy, and peace. All of that's to say, I've been going on and on and on, all of that's to say, this God of peace, who is full of peace, well-being, things being right, things coming together and being unified, we have access to that. And then we can be peacemakers. We can bring it. Now, there are three more passages I want to look at, but these we'll actually put on the screen. In Ephesians chapter um, 2, there's, they're talking about what happens with Jesus, and they're talking about Jews and Gentiles. For our, our purposes, let's just say like Jews, like religious people, church-going people, comfortable in church, kind of been into church enough, you kind of get, you're just 
your natural church, and then non-church people. Maybe they've never been to church, or maybe they've been to church only a little bit, or maybe they've walked away from the church, but you kind of got religious people and non-religious people. Well, in Jews and Gentiles, it's a lot more marked off than that. And so in describing that, right before the part we're going to read now, it's talking about they were separate. And the Gentiles, the non-religious people, were like separate from each other and from God. They're separate. They're excluded. They are foreigners. They're without hope and without God. They're far away. Then it says, but because of Jesus, they can be brought near. And then it says this, verse 14, for Jesus himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one? And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, out of the religious and the irreligious, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile them both, both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He, going back to verse 70, he came and preached peace to those who were, who were far away and peace to those who were near. Here's the deal. Jesus knew that people who were non-churched, non-religious, didn't do that stuff, they needed peace with God. They needed a way for peace with God. And he himself was their peace. They couldn't just get it on their own. They couldn't just get it because they're pretty good people. They needed Jesus to make the way to have peace. But he also knew people who were in the church, people who thought they're pretty good people. They needed the same thing. They needed Jesus to make a way for them to have peace. They're not going to be good enough. They're just good at pretending. Well, there's some sincerity in the church-going religion stuff. But, to, but sometimes there can be this self-righteousness. Like, I'm going to... I'm, I'm better than them. Better than... No, we all are in the same playing field, and Jesus comes to people who are, who are church going on and to people who are not, and he says, here I am, and I want to make available peace for you to have this connection with God. He's taking, remember, there's filled in here, excluded, foreigner, separate, hostility, dividing wall. That's true for all of us, with God and with each other, but Jesus brings it to one, to unity, calls us part of his family. He, he makes the way for peace. One more passage, then I'm going to get to like, so what, is this, what are we supposed to do with all this? I'm almost there. Let's go to Romans chapter 16. Verse 17, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions. And then a little bit later, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan, the evil one, the accuser, the head of all of our spiritual enemies. God will crush him underneath whose feet? Our feet. I'm expecting it to be underneath God's feet. God of peace, with peace, is going to crush Satan under the people who are with him, the peacemakers, under their feet. 
What's odd about that, I think, is that we can tend to think that crushing the enemy looks angry, looks strong, take them down, expose them. Satan literally means the accuser. Satan is anti-peace. Satan is the one who tries to divide people and destroy people and ruin relationships and make people hate and make people, make people angry. If we are going to crush Satan, we need to do it in the opposite spirit of him. We need to do it the way of Jesus, which is love, which is humility, which is kindness, which is graciousness. It's strength and it's truth. And it's uncompromising on the big things, but it is coming in a different spirit. So I think I say this quite a bit. Maybe I haven't said it in a while, though. We tend to respond with the spirit that comes at us. So if somebody's mad at me, they let me know they're mad at me, I'm going to let them know I'm mad at them. They're not going to talk to me, I don't need to talk to them. That's just, and I mean it for me anyway, it's just sort of like automatic. It's not like I think that. It's just like, that's what came at me, that's what I'm going to bring back at you. But be through Jesus, with the help of Jesus, we can respond differently to what comes at us. So I know a person that people came back and reported to me, this person, whole room of people talking about me, celebrate church, twisting things, saying things not right. And I know this person. And if I go up to this person, they would be like, hey, like we're friends, like we're good. And, but they're behind my back. They're saying all kinds of stuff about me. So here was my thought. You know what? I'm just going to go to this person. Hey, why are you saying that? Now, there'd be, there actually wouldn't be anything wrong with me doing that, which is say, hey, I hear you saying that thing. Well, just help me, help me out. There wouldn't be anything wrong with that, except that's not my intent. My intent would be like, I want to make you feel bad. I want to expose you. I want you to feel weak. I want to use this to make sure you don't do it anymore because you know I got my people. <laughs> right? It's not love. And so, by the grace of God in this situation, I wouldn't say this is necessarily my norm, I didn't do it. I just let it go, but I prayed. I prayed for this person. And sometimes, like the Psalms, I prayed, you get that guy, you get him to shut up. <laughs> Read the Psalms. In Hebrew, it's shut up, trust me. Anyway, <laughs> but sometimes I just pray like, God, I just want this person to know God. Yeah, I love that. I actually really enjoy this person. That's why it hurt. I mean, if, if someone that I don't like at all starts talking bad about me, oh, yeah, well, whatever, I don't like them either. But I like this person. That person's a member of our church now. That person loves Jesus now. I'm not saying that's because of me, but I'm saying there is a way in which the spirit of, like, I'm going to go expose this guy just creates further division. And we have plenty of that in our world. One of the things I've been thinking about is why is it that it's, at least it seems to me, 
that with one post or tweet or email or text or just with one thing that goes out, it is so much easier for it to be like cause more gap than more unity. I mean, the people that, we, that already agree with us anyways, they high-five our snarky comments, and they, oh, yeah, and they like it. And they, but, what a, but are we bringing anybody together? And I think it's because it takes, I think it's because it's easy to depersonalize those kind of people that vote that way or do that thing or look like this, and then they aren't really a person. But when we sit down together, when we get to know a person, then we can build trust. So, there, I mean, i got to be careful about these, these stories. These are just stories from my life. I have many more stories I could tell you about how I'm not doing well at these things than doing well, but uh, that doesn't probably help us. So this guy, he, he does not like me. He, is a, he, is, he doesn't know me but he does not like me and does not agree with things I'm doing, and we are gonna, we're put on this group together. And they don't, he doesn't like me, and I know that. And so after a few points, I started to not, I've heard good things about this person, but I started to be like, man. And so we went out for lunch. And in going out for lunch, I just asked him. And what we came to discover it over lunch you know what? We're a little bit on the same, more on the same page than we thought. Now, if I didn't go out to lunch with this person, then for the next few years, we would have just, and we would have thought the worst of each other. Now, we totally like each other. And we know we're for each other. But if I'm just going to do it through my social media, and some people can build relationships and do it the right way through social media, I just think it's harder. It's not going to work. Okay, one, one more. Here's, here's um, this, this, I just, this is from a recent study. 27% of Americans are estranged to a family member or like not speaking with a family member, not wanting something to do with a family member. The most of it is, is an adult child and their parent or parents. 27%. That's a lot of people. That's double the same studies are done in Israel and other parts of Europe. It's double most of those countries. In the U.S., we're not talking. We're not talking to somebody else. So there's a way in which we need to do it from who's far away, who's totally different than us, how can we build peace? But what about the people we live with, or right around, or married to? How did... One more passage. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, but i got to be very, 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 very quick. So Jesus just rose from the dead. He shows himself to his disciples. He says, peace be with you, and then he lets them see that he's got hole marks in his hands because he's in his glorified body, but he's still a human being, but he died, and now he's got a new body, but it's the same body. I don't quite understand how that works, but something like that. And then, verse 21, again Jesus said, peace be with you, peace be with you, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. 
If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What did he mean by that? Remember, he says peace. He breathes God's spirit in them. That will include peace. And then he says, you need to go. You need to go to people who are far away. You need to go to people who are right living with you or right living around you. You need to go in my name. Just like God, I come from God, you go from me who's God in the same way. And then he says, if you forgive somebody, they're forgiven. And if you don't, they're not. What does that mean? Does that mean me, pastor boy? I'm, you know, obviously I'm a pastor, so I'm pretty connected here. So if I see what you did and I say, no, 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 you're not forgiven, you're kind of in trouble because, you know, no, that's not at all what it means. What it means is, if I say you're forgiven, I forgive you, you wronged me, and I say you're forgiven, I release peace between us, around you. There is a reality of peace that comes into the atmosphere. And if I won't, non-peace, hostility, hardness of heart, and that's just going to get stronger and stronger. And so on the earth, we don't release much peace. Only if they deserve it. Only if we like them. Only if we're in a good mood. Only if other people understand. While, I think Matt quoted something like this, while we're still sinners is when Jesus came for us. When we were God's enemies is when Jesus came to bring us peace. So blessed are we when we do the same. My number one thing, like practically speaking and being a peacemaker, is try to understand. Try to understand where the other person is coming from. When I sit down, when I'm trying to be a peacemaker, because I got this person sitting in this chair and this person sitting in this chair, and they don't like each other, and they tell me completely different stories when we're one-on-one, -on -one, but now we're in the chair together. What I need to do to be a peacemaker is let both of them know, I think, do you, I think, so you must think this and this, and they think, yes, they understand where I'm coming from, and this person thinks, then they will trust me. I understand where each of them is coming from. To be peacemakers, we need to seek to understand, not to tell everybody what it is they need to be doing, they should be doing, why we're right. Okay, I, this is, I'm not used to, I got six weeks of not giving sermons, so I'm kind of blabbing. I'll have the worship team come up. But the bottom line for me is that God is looking for peacemakers. Who will bring peace? Who will bring peace to those? I'm thinking about non-white people in Marion County. There's 90-some percent of people who are white in, American, in Marion County. We do not know what it's like to be non-white in Marion County. Will we bring peace with us? Because a, a lot of people who are non-white in Marion County experience things other than peace, directly or indirectly. I'm thinking people who are very different. Will we bring peace to them? And I'm thinking about people we live with, and I'm thinking of pe about people we're related to. And in this room, I'm guessing there are, if those stats bear out, there are multiple people who have not had a kind conversation with, family, with a certain family member in years. You'd be blessed if you'd be a peacemaker. 
you'd be a forgiver, if you'd be like Jesus. Did someone just say amen? I thought someone whispered amen. I thought, yeah, it's time to wrap it up. So we're going to pray. So God, we cannot be peacemakers in our own strength. We need peace with you first, and we need your peace first. So before we close out, we just want to open ourselves up to you, the God of peace, whose essence is peace. With you, there is peace, peace, and more peace available. I don't understand how these exchanges work, but we pray for spiritual exchanges now. I pray that you would bring peace into people's minds and hearts who experience anxiety, like chronic anxiety, panic attack anxiety. Would you deposit peace? Peace into minds, Peace into emotions. Peace. Peace into bodies. Peace into hearts. Into heart rates, into blood pressure. Peace. And peace into souls. That souls, we could say again today or for the first time today, we want peace with you, God. We want to receive what Jesus did for us on the cross. That we can have peace with you. That we can be part of your family. for peace into babies that are in this room within their mother's wombs right now. I pray peace for those who when they were within their mother's wombs there was not peace around them. As they grew up in the youngest age there was not peace around them and so that got taken into their beings. I pray for peace into those lives. Peace into the deep places.
God, you're looking for peacemakers. And so we also, we want to receive your peace, but we also want to bring your peace. And as we sing this song, would we be willing to be your peacemakers, to show people what you're like, to carry with us and pass on what you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.